Welcome to the Black Women Unfiltered podcast, a podcast that explores the unfiltered journeys of Black women in discovering their purpose, owning their truth, and embracing their path of self-growth. This podcast encourages Black women to use their voices to reflect on their life experiences and expound on their truths that shape them into the woman they are now. This is Black Women Unfiltered, and I'm your host, Whitney Sam. Hey Queens, this week in the chair we have Farron Masongale. Farron is a 34-year-old substance abuse counselor who has been an active duty military member for 15 years. In honor of Active Duty Military Member Month, I wanted to celebrate Farron and bring awareness to Black women in the military. In this episode, Farron talks about her journey of finding her purpose outside of the military. Be sure to tune in. This is a good episode. Let's welcome Farron to the chair. Hi, Farron. Welcome to the chair. I'm so excited to have you in the chair. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank I you. Know. For all you queens out there listening, this is one of my good, good friends. We actually met through our husbands. Yeah. But um, you wouldn't know the way we act, so. No, we don't, who are they? <laughs> so I, I know your journey personally because we're friends, but I think this is a really good one to share just because you come from a different world. You come from the military world. Yeah. And so I think it's important for people to know that there is life outside of the military and kind of what the a little bit of what you can tell us about what life is like in the military. All right. So I joined the military in 2005 um, as a senior right out of high school. Um, I was one of those kids whose family has a history of military service. And so pretty much immediately once I hit high school, I was enrolled in JROTC. So the path was set, honestly, from the beginning. Um, when I joined, um, my first duty station was out in California. From there, I went to Japan. From there, back to California, um, a few places overseas, um, a one-year tour in Afghanistan. And uh, now I'm, I've landed in Florida as a substance abuse counselor for the military. So I've been all over. I've done and seen so many things. Station with the Marines, station with British, station with the French, Scottish. I mean, you name it. I've, I've, I've pretty much done it. Oh, nice. You've traveled further than most people. Yes. Uh, that's a huge opportunity that the military affords you, being able to travel well outside of the borders you were raised in. <laughs> so when you joined the military, what was your initial plan? Honestly, my initial plan was to get out of Orlando, Florida. Mm, I needed okay. to leave home and grow up and develop really as a person. I didn't know anything about the world. Um, I only knew my small community, my small church community, same people, same faces, honestly, my entire life. Um, even now when I go home, most of the people that I've known growing up are still in the exact same place I left, which is great. Um, but I didn't know anything outside of them. So really my plan was just to go and explore as much as I could of the world. 
And why didn't you choose college as opposed to the military? College wasn't an option for me. While education was something that is a benefit and was seen as something I needed to have in my home, no one outside of my nuclear family had ever gone to college. And so the path to get there, what it took to get there, wasn't something that was laid out or made plain for me. So that was something I was going to have to figure out on my own, as well as how to pay for it. Um, and the military just seemed like, okay, this is the direction I can go to figure out, honestly, who I want to be when I grow up and how I'm going to pay for that. Yeah, that's interesting because I know when I grew up, it was college or the military. And I definitely chose college because I was like, <laughs> I don't want nobody yelling at me to get up super early at 5 a.m. Right, and right. my mom was just like, well, it's either that or the military. And I'm like, dang. So so that's interesting that your family was like, go to the military. So right. I know there's going to be a loaded question, but how is it being a black woman in the military? I wouldn't say it's a loaded question. Being a black woman in the military is what I'm finding out is a lot like being a black woman in a lot of other spaces, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are setbacks. There are instances where people don't understand you or will mistake what they think they know about you. There are stereotypes that will come into place. Um, but also the military, it thrives on diversity. There are a lot of places where um, who I am and what I bring to the table and my background as a Black woman is welcome and needed. Um, it, for instance, the field I'm in right now is coupled with mental health. There's just not a lot of Black women there um, on the outside. But in the military where I work, almost it's almost exclusively Black. A majority of the staff is Black women. And so that's just another way that we've managed to make our way in and through. So it, it has challenges, but it hasn't been um, it hasn't been the worst experience that I can I can recall. It, it hasn't been so bad. And what are some of the setbacks that you've encountered in your journey so far with the military? Some setbacks I've encountered is just time. Um, there's often things that I would like to do, freedom to move. You know, I've talked to you about this a lot of times, just basic things, right? Like I, I want to do my nails however I want. Mm -hmm. I get jealous. I can't do those uh, types of small things, small liberties, being able to go home and see my family when I want to. Um, at one point, uh, like I said, I was in Afghanistan for a year straight. I came home for a total of about 15 days. And that was all I saw of my husband for a year. Um, for the first four years of my marriage, my and my husband were apart every other year for a year. And so a long distance relationship trying to make it work um, are just some of the ones that come to me right away. Yeah, I think that's the military is a different community, especially being a military spouse. Um, me and my mm -hmm. husband, first year of marriage, as you know, separated mm -hmm. and like we got married and he went on a deployment, like missed the first anniversary. So that that is how I can see a setback. What are some of the advantages you've had being in the military? Well, we certainly talked about the travel um, in the onset, right. right? But also just the people I've met. Having a full ride as far as college goes, there's really no 
uh, degree path that I can pursue that isn't um, covered or at least mostly covered in some way, as well as just the training that I have. A lot of the training that I've received in the military, whether it be um, some form of combat training or just in my skill set, has put me leaps and bounds ahead of other people. Um, right now, as a substance abuse counselor, the school I went through for 70 days, most people take two or three years to get through uh, college to get. And I got it in 70 days with all the same um, accreditation and hours and um, time in the field right away. So it, it sets me apart and pretty far ahead of most people in my field. Yeah, I do envy that. You guys always get good training and certifications, and they really try to set y'all up for the real world. Like I tell um, Wes how you guys, they make you promote. Like jobs in the real world do not make you promote. Like they actually make you guys promote. They make you guys test. And like it'd be nice to know like, oh, I only got to do this position for three years before I can get another one. Like that would be great. (laughs) And I'm always going to get a pay raise, no right. matter what. <laughs> and you get new, new co workers. Like, that'd be nice. Yes. And then I get full medical and dental coverage. So the list goes on. Yes. That's that always great. Pay, I'm know? always like, I always elect out of uh, medical benefits. I'm like, it's so nice to not have to worry about that at all. <laughs> So we've talked about it, but what was a moment in your career where you knew the military like wasn't your purpose? Oh, yeah, we have talked about this. So like I said, I'm a substance abuse counselor and I have started working in the field now for about three years. And a lot of what my preceptor would tell me all the time is, you should not just remain a counselor. You need to do more with this. You have a gift. And even just speaking, you know, to you and to our mutual friends, it's like, hey, there is something else greater calling you. And so I would say, honestly, just within the last year, I have had the light bulb moment like, oh, wait, no, um, this is not just something I'm really good at. It's honest to goodness gift that I have that everyone else doesn't have I'm thinking everybody can do this but no that's not true everybody can't do this um everybody isn't um you know a healer in this way when it comes to mental health naturally and so um once I accepted that because I've been hearing it for a while but once I accepted that um that's when I knew it was time for me to start moving forward and doing something different Okay. So let's talk about the moment where you were stuck in your career. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about that and how um, they were kind of limiting you and where you were at. Kind of walk us through what that was like for you, that experience. Oh, so tough because I think so many women deal with this, Black women especially. Um, in, in my past right now, it's either I can promote through the ranks, Mm -hmm. Uh, but in order to do that, I would have to sacrifice um, credit hours and clinical hours in order for me to, you know, be certified in the thing that I want to do, and so I had to make a choice. It was either give up promoting in rank Mm -hmm. or give up promoting in this 
field that I am passionate about and that I am certain is my calling in life. And so it was tough because on one end, if I don't promote the ranks, it's not devastating for me. I've reached the retirable rank in the military. No matter what, I'm going to get full benefits. At 20 years, I can go home. But what came with that was the, um, the negative kind of stereotype of, oh, maybe she's just laying down. She's not trying anymore. Um, this person isn't salvageable in the military. They've just given up. And it was gut-wrenching for me because I'm someone who struggles with perfectionism quite a bit. And so not being seen as perfect and infallible was like, uh, it was hard for me. I had to really detach from that and say, when you are walking in your purpose, Farron, there are going to be things you have to jettison in order for you to go forward. Walking in my purpose and my passion is not supposed to always feel good. It's going to be challenging. It's going to hurt sometimes, whether that be to the ego or even physically. So I had to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable and not being seen as um, Wonder Woman or, or super whatever in the military um, and just going after what it is I wanted, which is terrifying, <laughs> to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Walking in your purpose is never easy. I think people think it's easy. Like yeah. they, because they have that moment where they're like, oh, I know what I want to do now. But I'm like, it's that much harder because now you know. Like when you yeah. don't know, you're kind of like throwing the dart, like, oh, got it. Oh, no, no, never mind. Or like, right. almost there. No, I could back out of that. But like, once you know, there's that like nagging feeling, like, okay, I got to like do what I need to do. Right. It's like I tell my patient, um, once you ring a bell, you can't unhear the sound. Mm. You can't take the sound and like shove it back in the bell. You can't unknow what you now know. Oh my goodness. You now have an obligation to do something with what it is that you know. So once I found my purpose, I now have an obligation to do something about it. If I don't, then I'm, I'm wasting my own time. Nobody else is just my own. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that was good. You can't unhear that. Ooh, that was good. Sorry. <laughs> that was so good. So I don't think I've ever asked, but how did you even find substance abuse counselor? Um, like most things that have happened to me that are best for me, by chance. Okay. I had um, been working as a drug and alcohol uh, representative for the military, which means that when people have a substance abuse issue, they could come to me and I'd get them referred to a substance abuse facility that's ran by the military. Uh, while working in that field, honestly, for about five years, I'd run into other counselors who'd say, you should do this, or other patients who would talk to me and say, you should be across the street. You shouldn't be in this little office. So I I ended up, um, I got pregnant, which is great with my baby girl. And when I came back from maternity leave, it was time to pick orders and nothing was available. I mean, I was picking everything that I thought I should pick. Um, nothing would fit. And so finally, the detailer, um, and that's the person who gives us assignment to where it is we're going to be working next, said, why don't you put in a package for the school? As a matter of fact, if you accept this school, 
um, I'll go ahead and accept you without the package. You can give me the package whenever, um, but you can leave your command early. And how would you like to be stationed in Florida where you're from? And you can retire there too. You don't have to leave again. Mm. And so it was just like the door kicked in and all these things lined up so perfectly for me that I couldn't say no. Yeah. <laughs> it's too perfect. So I, I accepted and I put in a package eventually and I started the school. And once I had my first day at the school, the first time I sat down in groups and started working with other people, counseling them, the counselors facilitating us would say, you're doing advanced counselor skills. Stop. We haven't gotten you there yet. <laughs> and that would be a regular, and I didn't know what advanced counseling skills were. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me I'm doing something naturally and I had no idea. So that's when it really started to kind of seep in for me. Like, oh, right, kind of you're good at this. You're doing stuff that you don't even know you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just really let it start to sit in from there. Okay. So what was it like facilitating your first group? <sighs> terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Because the thing about facilitating other people um, at that time was that at a moment's notice, they would also um, ask you to stop and then be the person who's being worked or being facilitated. So I Mm -hmm. had to always be ready to suddenly be a patient. And the things that we brought to our group were real life issues. So things that I had never told a soul, not even you, my very Mm -hmm. close friend, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had these were things that I was telling complete strangers and I had to be okay with that. And I had to be okay with what they told me. And so it was um, a lesson in vulnerability that I had not yet experienced. So it was terrifying, but after a while it became very comfortable. Yeah. I'm in, everyone knows I'm in life coaching school and that vulnerability with complete strangers is real. It's life-changing because like you said, you know, there's things that you can't tell me, but for me, it's like keeping other people's like secrets and confidentiality yes. and like yes. being respectful. Cause I'll tell Wes like, Oh, I met with a client today. Like what they say? I'm like, well, I can't tell you what they said, but, but. we use this technique, <laughs> you know, this was the general around it. Cause you know, the confidentiality, but yeah, I'm being completely vulnerable with strangers, but for some reason in those spaces, those spaces become sacred out of nowhere. It's like natural. And a lot of people don't know that. And so I know like it was hard for you to be vulnerable. So talk about that. You know, tearing down that super black woman. (laughs) Yes. So I always say I'm a recovering perfectionist and I will be for the rest of my life. Um, before I went through school and before I had that constant practice of four hours a day being just the raw version of myself mm-hmm. and not being judged for it, I had um, the superwoman complex, right? I had to look at all the time. I had to know everything, um, even just knowing the best places to go and eat. Just, I mean, just a real complex about being... Uh, some version of myself that I had dubbed was necessary to embody in order to be accepted by other people or to be loved by people. Um, And that 
can really break you down. And at one point, I had a preceptor who told me I reminded him of toast. He said, you are burnt around the edges, but the center of you is still soft. It's still good. Mm. And you need to figure out a way to cut off the edges of you. Right? Like, mm. You need to get rid of all this stuff that you believe people want from you. And really think about what it is you need or want for yourself because soon you are going to burn out. You're going to be no good to anyone. And that really, um, it really struck me right in the heart because I had not realized um, what I had been doing to myself, even to my own health. I had gained so much weight, not just from having a baby, but just from not taking care of me, not valuing myself. And it, because the pressure I was placing on myself as a new mom and student and in the military and you know as a wife and all these things that I was trying to show up for and be perfect in all the time and it was crushing me it really was and I hadn't realized it until he described me honestly as toast burnt toast of all things it was perfect it really was perfect and what is what is a preceptor so a preceptor is like a mentor um, okay. in, in our field. Um, it can be someone who is a senior counselor, so someone who has gotten all the certifications and letters behind their name that they can get in this field. Or it can be a psychologist. Um, right now, my preceptor is a psychologist. Um, just someone who is guiding us and making sure that we are working within the dimensions we're supposed to work in, getting our credit hours, um, staying on task and being ethical and that we aren't doing any harm to patients. They're mm. very valuable. Okay. So what was that? What were the steps that you took to break through that superwoman mentality? Um, well, one of the first steps I took was um, being honest with myself. Mm. And thinking what is not serving me anymore and what could I bring to the table that would actually harm patients and once I started thinking about those things I thought okay Lafayette you need therapy which is exactly what I went for next so um, I started doing therapy I started having one-on-one sessions with my own therapist and telling her my concerns and the things that I was going through as a mom and um, you know, wanting to strive and be a better counselor. And I, I came at it at first as this, like, um, I want to make sure that I am a, a cleansed soul so that I don't harm any patients. And she looked at me like, yeah, okay, girl, that's not what's going on here, but have a seat and we'll talk about it. Well, we went from there. Um, and she started helping me like break down, you know, perfectionism and, and what that did for me. What what was my reasoning and where that started with me? Uh, I was able to kind of start chipping away at those things and, and being a better version of myself. Yeah, doing work on yourself is hard. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not easy. Um, I definitely have, I would say, a lot of inner blocks and perfectionism, procrastination. Like once you know that about yourself, you're just like, okay. Okay. 
but okay. also how to use those things right like once exactly. I knew that I was like a perfectionist it's like well that it's not always bad like, right what are some things about my perfectionism that helps me all right well I'm organized and when I don't live and die by task I can be task oriented and on time and punctual so how do I bring those to the front and mm-hmm. leave the uh condemning myself and mm-hmm. negative self-talk in the back right that's why I did an episode on embracing your blocks um, yeah that's one of the things we learned in school and I was like my teacher's like, embrace it, like, embrace it. And I was like, yeah. that's right, because usually your block is either a protection mechanism mm-hmm. or it's something that you've developed because of some traumatic experience in life. And even though I haven't had any, you know, tragic experience, thank the Lord for that one, um, I know my perfectionism happens because I care about stuff and I care about doing things with intention and purpose Mm -hmm. and making sure it's a good product because Mm -hmm. you can tell when people don't have a good product and you're like, okay, did you even try? Um, Right. (laughs) No, you didn't before you lie to me. (laughs) Right. And so I just got to make sure it doesn't hold me back, like still execute, but just know that like, I want to give you a good product because I want a good product, you know? Gotcha. For me, my perfectionism was born out of something really small that I hadn't realized until my mother told me, Mm. which is when I told her, hey, yeah, I'm struggling with perfectionism. I'm working on it in therapy. And she said, oh, that makes sense. I didn't ever tell you how good of a job you were doing growing up. Mm. Not that she always told me I was doing a bad job, but because Mm -hmm. I was expected, right? And this is just, I don't know if it's every Black household, but in my Black household, your job as a child was to go to school and make good grades. Yeah. And so that is not going to be rewarded or praised because that's what you're supposed to be doing because you mm-hmm. don't work, you don't pay any bills. And so that's your whole purpose is to get good grades and advance through this thing and go in the world and be great. So when she laid it flat for me like that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I don't know where there's a bar. I never set a bar. I would achieve something great. And before you give me the award, I would square off a new box to, you know, do the next great thing and the next great thing. Mm -hmm. I was never comfortable with achievement. Um, So that's really like the heart of it for me. Once I could dig that up, I was like, cool, let's go. Yeah, I remember when um, you told us and we didn't even realize that you couldn't take a compliment. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, what? And you're like, when you guys compliment me, you know this, that I never say thank you. I'm like, Mm-hmm. I never noticed that. I, ne- I You always divert it, but I never I, noticed it. I could like, not oh, physically handle it. Really? Why? Why couldn't you physically handle a like a comp like a genuine compliment? Well, it um it always went back, and this as well, like imposter syndrome, right? We've spoken mm-hmm. about this ourselves, right. which is at any moment everybody's going to discover I'm a fraud because as a perfectionist the one thing you're always doing is pointing out the cracks to yourself mm-hmm. even if no one can see them even if they aren't real right. um, you're constantly finding flaw with yourself um, which fuels your desire to try to be perfect further so to me it was always like oh you gave me a compliment but it's because you don't know xyz 
oh, you like my mm-hmm. outfit, but you don't know I tried on 30 of them before we came out. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you like this, but you don't know this. this what, so I, it was like, oh, they only know, they only give me a compliment because they don't know the full truth. The reality is, yes, they do know the full truth and they're giving me a compliment on what it is they're observing. Uh, so the thing about perfectionism is also really self-centered mm-hmm. and uh, honestly it can just be rude when people hand you a compliment and you slap it away it'll mm-hmm. make people say well forget you I don't want to deal with that <laughs> why would I even bother right. well you definitely didn't swat them away you would divert them but it wasn't in like a rude way because obviously we didn't stop so that's good with the diversion. <laughs> yeah, you always hit it with a diversion, but and I remember because I'm like, oh, nice shoes. You're like, yep, got it from here. And I'm like, oh. Now I think about it, I'm like, oh, she didn't say thank you, but I was At like, all. okay, thank you for the reference. Which is rude, right? Like, <laughs> say thank you. I, I will never forget when my therapist assigned me the task of just accepting compliments for like two weeks straight. Oh, wow. How was and that? I, I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> I was gonna die. I could not refute a thing for two weeks straight. All I could say was thank you. It was so hard. Yeah, but, but I, you did the work. I did the work. Yeah. So, being a substance abuse counselor, when did you know that was gonna be your purpose? Um. Um, my first real group. Okay. Um, my first real group as a counselor, I was sitting in a circle with two people who, to this day, I consider to be the greats. Like, honestly, I was so blessed to start my journey with them. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of our group cycle, which was about 35 days um, for a full rehab um, inpatient setting, they looked at me and said, Oh, you, um, you're not an intern. <laughs> You've done this before somewhere. I was like, no, I'm, not. I'm an intern fresh out of school, like fresh 10 days. And they, uh, their, their feedback to me at the end of each group, because I would be in my head, but their feedback to me was always on point. You, you said what I was thinking. I would have never thought of that. So when I really started um, taking those things in as facts and really seeing what I was doing was affecting people, um, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I, I can do this. This is, I like this. And then um, I just really like the idea of helping people who are in positions that seem hopeless, even if they just get a little glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. right? Even just the tiniest bit. They don't have to be fully uh, rid of their addiction or anything, because addiction can be a lifelong thing. But if they left with even just a tiny spark from that, made it all worth it so being able to grasp onto something that's small and love it no matter what the outcome I was like this is this is my field I'm staying here mm. have you encountered any setbacks so far in your journey yes um <laughs> uh, we talked about the ranking up thing but um other setbacks would just be uh, maybe the emotional toll that it can take um, counseling people when they are in positions that are truly hopeless or just mm-hmm. don't see any way out of it. Um, 
learning how to compartmentalize, especially when stories sound a lot like my own or when I sit down in a group and the person across from me just sounds like me, Mm -hmm. looks like me. And so it's hard not to be like, oh, I just want to wrap you up and hug you and love on you and shield you from natural consequences or maybe not um, give you full truth because I don't want to hurt you or harm you. Um, that has been very difficult at times as a counselor. Yeah, so talk about the emotional toll that it takes in the counseling field. I believe most people think, and I could be wrong, but I know I've encountered folks who say, oh, there are people in the military who have uh, substance abuse issues. And it's like, yes, Uh, because the military is just a snapshot of the country. So knowing that, knowing that people all over the country suffer in so many different ways, you get like this crash course sometimes of a group where there are so many different types of hurt happening at once. It can be overwhelming. Like, okay, um, your mother killed herself in front of you. Your, mm-hmm. your father sexually assaulted you as a child your parents start feeding you alcohol at the age of seven. You've been raped several times since you joined the military. What do Mm. I do with all that hurt in the room, right? Because it's all valid. Everybody's hurt is equal. Everybody's rage is equal. um, And the need for help is equal. So being able to compartmentalize and not break down crying or, you know, honestly, I have had times where I've cried. I've sat in a circle and someone's told me something so traumatic mm-hmm. that I, I have just been in tears, not weeping or doubled over, unable to function, but a human in the circle with them who's affected by what they're saying and being able to take that hurt and say, that's the most heartbreaking thing I've heard. And I don't know how you got through that. And I couldn't imagine going through something like that. And that must have been so hard for you to share something like with that. It took a lot of bravery. Then switching to the next person and then going home and looking at my own child and my own husband. You know, it can really just tie you up in knots some days. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, especially in that industry, a lot of people, you know, they do turn to drugs because of past traumas and experience. And I know, like, there's a lot of things about the military we don't get to know, but PTSD is real. And you hear about the rapes and things and how they go. Um, A lot of girls aren't believed. The people don't get removed. Like, you know, they have to see their abusers, triggers, like all of that. So I couldn't even imagine you know, being on that other side, but I think you're the right person for that. You've always been a good, um, sympathetic person, so, and empathetic as well. I was going to say, I I hope it's empathy. Yeah, empathy, (laughs) sorry, not sympathy, but empathy. (laughs) You've got to use this master's degree I got, come on, Doc. (laughs) But yes, empathy, you're very empathetic, and it's genuine. Thank so you. That's great. So what is the future for you in this career? Um, recently, I decided that um, 
pursuing um uh, I, I would love to become a psychologist if I can stay in a field of counseling. And okay. so that is the, the way of going. I've talked to you about this the other day, certainly have enrolled in school and just gotten started. And that was scary in itself. And uh, because again, if nobody in my family has been, been to college, certainly no one has been a, a doctor. So, so now mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do that too. Um, but I, I bolstered myself in moving forward by announcing it to people. Um, because now, again, once you ring that bell, it can't be unheard. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, I, if I tell 20 of my closest friends and family that I'm going to be a doctor, guess what? <laughs> That's what I got to do now. <laughs> <laughs> and once you put it out there and people know, got to live up to it. You gotta live up to it, right? Where do find? So I gotta go. So um, that's the next step for me is uh, moving as forward as possible as a doctor, as a psychologist, and um, staying as close to substance abuse as I can. Mm. So, what is one piece of advice you would give to women in the military about how to not? let the military stop them from finding their true purpose? Um, Not only are you welcome in this space, but what you bring to the table is Mm -hmm. invaluable. Like, go for it. Don't let anyone... um, tell you that who you are, whether it be a really big personality or one that's more quiet and reserved, don't let anyone tell you that you don't belong there, that you don't have a seat at the table. Um, We belong in every space, whether it's the military or beyond, and what you are, who you are as a person is going to enhance any environment you go into. So don't be afraid to take those billets that seem out of your league. Don't be afraid to take those positions that some folks might say you aren't qualified for. Don't be afraid to be the first in your field to do something. Just go for it because if it winds up for you the way some things have wind up for me in the military, then it's there for a reason. Just run head forth, head first into that purpose as much as you can. I love it. I was in the military, but yes. Yeah. So now we're going to jump into the advice round. Woo! What is one thing that you feel helped you find your purpose? My friends. Friends, okay. My friends help me. What um, is, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, just by uh, always cheering me on and telling me that I can do it. Y'all are, y'all are fantastic. Oh, thank you. I didn't pay her to say that, y'all. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> what is one piece of, of advice you would give to a Black woman who is in search of her purpose? Um, if you're scared of it, that's it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What is one goal-oriented item that you do daily to keep you on track with your purpose? Um, at this point, it'd be yoga. Mm. Yeah. 
it just centers me. It humbles me. It brings me back. And since you're like a new social media influencer, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Faye Ivy. Um, and, and that's it. Until somebody forces me to keep something else. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know if you know this, but where are some websites that people can go to to get help with substance abuse? Any hotlines or anything? No, I don't know any off the top of my head, but if you are active duty, I'll say this. Okay. Or even if you aren't active duty, if you have insurance, and I know that is a blessing within itself, um, if you call your insurance company, if you call TRICARE, they are very likely to link you to resources okay. um, that will get you started and get you through the right door. Ooh, that's helpful. Well, Farron, I call you Faye. Thank you for coming to the chair and sharing your story. I'm pretty sure you're going to not only help Black women, but Black women in the military as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No way. I love you. Love you too. (laughs) Hey, Queen. Thanks for listening to the Black Women Unfiltered podcast. If you enjoy the show, Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other Black queens like you, who are searching to hear stories about Black women finding their purpose and owning their truth, find the show. If you want to hear more from me, follow me on Instagram at Black Women Unfiltered Podcast. Also, check out the website at www.blackwomanunfiltered.net for weekly episode recaps. As always, have a great week.